Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. Let's open our Bibles. Can we, can we do that? We'll do a little work. I want you to open to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. I want to talk this morning um, really about where you are at, how to flourish right now. Um, I'm a person that is wired towards the future. I don't know if anyone else is like that, but I spend most of my time thinking, processing, planning about the future. Uh, Aaron, on the other hand, my wife, is um, almost always in the moment. Uh, we are uh, om- almost polar opposites when it comes to that. So if you're, if you're wired to be in the moment, the moment that you get money or something, you're ready to spend it and have a good time. If you're you know, somebody that's future-oriented, you know, you're thinking about tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. So this is the way I've always been wired um, when I was young, my mom used to take us grocery shopping, and every week we would get a little matchbox or a Hot Wheels, and you're going to think I need therapy after I say this, but she'd get us a matchbox or Hot Wheels, so my little brother would open his, and then I would save mine. So I'm 29 years old, and I've got about 135 matchbox and Hot Wheels that are still packaged, so just count that out, I mean, how many years that is, so like... Every week we'd be grocery shopping and I would package one way thinking it was going to be worth something. To my great uh, disappointment, they're still only worth about a dollar a piece. But uh, it was one investment that didn't work out. Others have. So I've always been wired that way. But one of the things that I'm challenged by in the scripture is that God, by his spirit, always wants us to be in the moment. One of the things to be in the moment and now with all of where our culture's at, where social media is constantly wants us to be elsewhere. You know, you flip open your phone right now, you're on Instagram, you're on somebody else's vacation. You know, you've, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're always somewhere else. And I want to talk to you this morning about flourishing where you're at. So before we go to Jeremiah, uh, I just want to frame it like this. I love how the scripture kind of gives us uh, this perspective, and I, I want to bridge what you've just come out of. Jesse was telling me, you know, you were preaching on your identity in Christ, and next week, opening up a new series about uh, faith and works and how that intermingles. And I want to frame this morning like this. Paul tells us, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, that for even when we're with you, we would not give you the command, he's saying this, that if, if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. Now, don't you love that the Bible is so practical? If you're not working, you shouldn't be eating. Now, I recognize there are situations, uh, somebody could be on disability or not have the ability to work, I understand that. But the Bible speaks very clearly against the the, uh, idleness, about not doing something. Then the other side of it, though, it speaks about the idolatry of work, of thinking that all we should do is work, 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 and so what does God do? Every six days, he institutes the Sabbath. Now, you know, don't get hyper-spiritual on me. Uh, you know, I had a lot of bacon yesterday for breakfast. Like, I'm a New Covenant Christian. I get it. But the Sabbath principle of what that is is that you and I are supposed to rest from our work. We're actually supposed to be able to disengage and say, I don't have to work. I don't have to achieve. So it's really between the idleness and the idolatry of work is this sweet spot where Christians are supposed to do it. Where work is not something for us, it's actually for God. 
Now, you spend more time working, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're working 80 hours a week, all of us are working. And when I'm talking about this, what I want you to understand is that I'm saying this not in regard to a vocation, but that work is everything that you do. So turn with me now to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah, this prophet of God, is, whose name is a little bit uh, disputed on what it means, but one version of his name, kind of the interpretation of his, the Lord hurls. Not, not, that doesn't mean throw up. But the Lord hurled him into this situation. Now, Jeremiah is this prophet who's in exile. Now, I find this so interesting. Babylon, who's probably like the most um, ungodly society on the face of the world, takes the people of God captive. And what's happening during this time, they take them captive, and all of these people start to say, don't worry, any minute now, God's going to come in and rescue us. Now, Jeremiah, though, to the flip side of this, says, they're lying, God's actually not going to rescue us, we're going to be here for 70 years. Now, I I find this so interesting, because today, when you flip on, and God, I hope you don't flip it on too often, but if you do turn on Christian television, it doesn't take for too, too long you see somebody is talking about us being, you know, ripped out of the world, you know, the moon's turning red or something, and that means, you know, Russia's blowing something up, and, you know, North Korea, and God knows what's happening. Any minute now, the world's going to end. And somehow, I don't know how that's spun as good news, but sometimes people talk about that as if it's like good news that that's happening. I don't think Jesus has to blow up the world before he comes back. Amen. Okay. Maybe you do. If he does, we should just go, you know, we shouldn't be praying for peace. Sorry, okay. Jeremiah 29. So Jeremiah is tossed into this environment. And now listen, the Lord starts speaking to him. Verse 4 says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, Now God's saying, you're in exile. You're surrounded by a pagan society. Does anybody work with some good old fashioned pagans? Are you ever around the water cooler and you're like, what? So I was just on CNBC the other day, kind of flipping around uh, on, on the website, and I was talking about, I don't know if you've heard of the website, Ashley Madison. It is a website designed for affairs. Like, that's the, that's the whole thing. It's booming. So, like, if you want to have an affair, you go on Ashley Madison. A few years ago, it got hacked, and it posted everybody's information online. Could you imagine that? Praise God. Uh, <laughs> but it's a private website. That if you want to have an affair, that's what it is. It's a professional affair website, and it's thriving right now. So now imagine what God says into that. You know, like, what does God say to a people surrounded by pagans, right? Here it is, verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they might bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Now notice that, multiply and do not decrease. Verse 7, But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your uh, diviners who uh, are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now, why why is the Lord saying this? Because there's this wrestling match. 
Some people are saying, oh, no, 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 don't worry, we're going to get out of here in no time, so, like, you shouldn't do anything, just, like, you know, don't plant any gardens, don't buy houses, don't invest for the future, don't think about that, just disengage, just kind of, like, any minute God's going to swoop in. And what happens is that the Lord is saying, no, that's not going to happen. You're actually not going to be delivered. And then he goes on to say this, verse 10, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Right? What does he say? Pray to the Lord on its behalf. I'm not, I'm, you're not getting rescued or pulled out, but I want you to actually begin to invest right now, right here. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when the 70 years are completed from Babylon, I'll visit you and I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, that, that last verse is on, like, coffee mugs and Christian t-shirts and everything. Like, it's, you know, you ask a person, what's your favorite Bible verse? Jeremiah 29.11. Now, the, why is Jeremiah 29.11 in the Bible? Why is it even there? Why? Because... He's saying, I know the plans I have for you for a future and a hope. You don't need to hear that when you're on the beach. You don't need to hear that when you're like at the buffet. Right? You you don't need to sit back and hear God say to you, I know the plans I have for you, a future and a hope. When everything is working out, you don't need to hear that. You don't need to hear about a future and a hope. Because you're sitting there, you're like, I'm on the beach right now. I'm on vacation. I'm relaxing. So why does God say this? Because they're surrounded by a pagan society. They're surrounded by a pagan society. The beginning of those verses, I don't know if you've noticed anything interesting there. You'd think God would cause them, you know, what I want you to do, he'd start off and say, I want you to get street signs and hold them up and says, turn or burn. Right? It's kind of absent. I want you to go out and evangelize the city. Evangelize the living daylights out of everyone. You know, just run up to them, shake them, and try to get them to church. He doesn't say that. The opposite side of it, he doesn't say, just stay in your house and don't talk to anyone. What does he say? This, is, this might sound... You know, so simple here, but I want you to build houses and live in them. Huh? What? I want you to get married. Huh? What is he saying? I want you to have kids. I want you to plant a garden. Now this this might not sound profound, but it's verse 7 that separates you and I from all of the people that we live with. Our work... Our lives, everything we do, everything you and I do, is not an end in itself. We are doing something for a greater purpose. So what he's saying is this. Don't disengage, but start businesses. Don't disengage, but get married and have kids. And that like, looks like a command from Scripture where he's saying, like, be fruitful, multiply. It's this idea that as Christians, we're not to disengage because we think that Jesus is coming back at any minute. But it's actually our engagement that God has called us to as Christians. That's a big deal. And you start to realize this, that God wants us to be in the moment and planning for the future. God wants us to be in the moment, and God wants us to plan for the future. People of God taken into captivity. Now, a similar time happens in the the New Testament. Rome comes and sweeps up the people of God 
brings them under this tyranny. And Jesus now operating again, the people of God historically have always been the minority, the marginalized, and even the ostracized. And there is a, there, there's a sense, and we have to be careful of this, there's a sense that if I or we could become the majority, then we can have influence. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I kind of swept through the political season every four years, pin the tail on the Antichrist, and then somebody comes up and <laughs> leads the charge to the kingdom of God once again through the White House, and it'll never work. Because that's not how God does things. That's not his ultimate aim. But what happens is there's this, there's this feeling that if we weren't marginalized, if we weren't ostracized, if we were the majority, if we did have all of those things, then we could get it. And what is the scripture saying to us? In the midst of your captivity, right in the midst of where you're at, in the midst of your workplace, in the midst of your dysfunctional family, I wasn't looking at anybody specifically when I said that, especially my mom, I love you mom. Um, (laughs) In the midst of your brokenness and where you're at, wherever you're at, what do you do? I want you to be able to get excited about your boring, ordinary life. If you can get excited about your boring, ordinary life, God can transform the city. God transforms things. Now, he's the God of Acts, and he's the God of Proverbs. And God can transform things by like a sweeping miracle. I love that. But more often than not, God transforms things through the ordinary, boring things of our lives. And if you don't believe me, why does communion is just bread and wine? Because God takes ordinary things, blesses them, and makes them sacred and set apart. Sacred and set apart. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city. He's saying this, I want you to live your lives because the reality is you're going to go home tonight and pull into the same driveway or walk into the same house as the person beside you. There's nothing that separates you between you and your neighbors except what? The intention of your heart to seek the welfare and prosperity. Now that word, peace and prosperity or welfare, is really the Hebrew word shalom. Say shalom with me. Shalom. Now, shalom means peace, but peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, and I know you get along with your spouse at all times, so. But peace is not just simply the absence of fighting. Listen to this, great theologian Cornelius Plantinga. You have to be a philosopher with that name, don't you? Cornelius Plantinga, junior, by the way. He says, shalom is this. Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight. So so God plants people in pagan societies to do what? To withdraw, to pull back, to simply shut the door at night and just be like, I'm so glad we're not them. You know why people watch the news? The news is so negative. Why do we watch the news? Because we're able to celebrate the fact that it's not us. I know that might sound strange to you. It might sound strange, but, but psychologically, that's why people watch. Why are they glued to the television when bad things happen? Because they're able to say tragedy is out there. And it might sound a little strange. 
But what do we do as Christians? We're not to pull back in ourselves, but you are commanded to seek the what? The rewebbing, the reconstituting of systems around us, society around us. Sin is not simply uh, stepping over some sort of line. There's a part of that that's absolutely true. You sin against God. But sin is the tearing apart of how God designed this world to be. Cities make sounds. People make sounds. Have you ever been so upset you just make a noise? You run out of words and you make a noise? Someday I'd love to hear Will's noise. I'm not sure what it is. You can save it for now, but I'd love to hear Will's noise. You just get so upset you've got a noise. You've got a sound. The scripture says like this in Proverbs, that when the righteous prosper, a city rejoices, it makes a noise. Cities make noise. Communities make noise. Neighborhoods make noise. Uh, It might be, you know, sometimes it's the noise of gunshots. The other day we were doing a barbecue at Jesse's house, and it wasn't actually a gunshot, I don't think, but a big noise off, and he just said, girls, it's fireworks, right? Now, I don't think there's too many gunshots happening, but neighborhoods make noises, Cities make noises. Co-workers make noises. Businesses make noises. Everything makes a sound. And Proverbs says this, that when the righteous, when the people of God are living the life they're supposed to live, it sounds differently because you're there. Scranton sounds differently because City Lights is here. Your neighborhood should sound different because you live there. This city, if it doesn't, then we're not doing what the people of God are called to do. We're just isolated, cornered off, pulled off into our own little shell, waiting until Jesus comes back, waiting until he delivers us from exile. And that's never been the way God does things. God plants us in a place. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket I did that with my baby blanket once. It lit on fire. Bad. It's a true story. It was a bad decision. I was I think I was six, though. But on stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before who? Others. Now, this is wild. The Christian life, while it starts with God saving us, that is only the beginning, never the ending. The Christian life is about the other. Let your light shine before who? The other. I want you to think of the person right now that you absolutely can't stand. I want you to think about the person you absolutely can't stand. Think about, and hopefully we don't have a huge long list. Some of you look like you're like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Top ten or top twenty? No. (laughs) Hopefully the list is shorter and we'll work on that before we leave. But it says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. This is wild. The Christian life, because of what Jesus has done for us, there is no such thing as the other anymore. There's no, one, there's no longer the other. Now our world, like, thrives on others. Oh my gosh, everywhere you go, there's another. They vote differently than me. They look different than me. They've got a different gender than me. They're... Believe different than me. Everything's other, 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 other. And the idea, and I hate to say this, but this is the same thing that motivates 
so many other regimes in the past and we have to rid ourselves of it in the church today, if we're not careful is what happens is that we think that if our group could get bigger than their group, then we could win. And what is the Christian life about? Not trying to put other people in exile, but it is the reconstituting of God's shalom for all people, whether or not they look like us, talk like us, believe like us, or think like us. Let your light shine. Who? Where? How? Before others. Now, I like the light that shines for me. I, just being honest. You know, I, I like to be... Now, if you don't believe... If you're like, oh, it's not me, then give a hundred bucks to the person sitting beside you, right? You'd much rather be the guy getting a hundred bucks than giving a hundred bucks. That's the way we're wired as people. And I know you're so spiritual that you don't think that's true. But we are, and we have to have the Spirit of God to change us to think like this. We are wired always to want to be the beneficiary. And what happens is he says no. Then he goes on and he starts to give us the uh, Beatitudes. I won't read them for the sake of time. But I do want to read this. Jesus begins to describe an alternate kingdom. A city within a city. He goes on in Luke 6, in the version of the Beatitudes, he says this, But I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who even come against you and abuse you. To those who strike you on the cheek, offer the other also. For the one who takes your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Don't you have that friend? We've all got that friend. Never loan books. Sorry, just a side note. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And he goes on. If you, though, if you love those who love you, what benefit is it? For even sinners love those who love them. And he goes on. And if you do good to those who do good, and if you lend to those whom you expect to receive it, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Have you ever thought about that? That God is kind to the ungrateful and evil? Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So Jesus describes an alternate way of doing life. You remember when you were young and you sat on your bed or out on the sky and you started to imagining things? You know, you'd maybe you were a superhero or something like that. This is what Jesus does in the Beatitudes. He's imaging. He's imagining what the church should look like. Now, this wildly convicts me because if I lend out a book... Like, I want to take a picture of it, write a thing, and I want to, like, tattoo it on someone's arm because I've lost enough books by now, right? I'm the only one that's ever lent a book? Okay. You've got those friends. I know you do. And you're just like, where's that book? You're like, oh, man. Jesus is imaging. He's imagining what the church looks like. It's a people that exist for the good of other people. That's a really amazing idea when almost every other social institution in one way or another exists for the good of itself. The church exists for the good of the people they don't like. That's kind of crazy. Our mission is to love the people we can't stand. 
It's, I mean, like, imagine making that your life focus. All of the people I don't like, I'm going to love. Like, what a mission statement. You know, like, welcome to City Church. We love the people we don't like. We love the people we don't like. That's what the gospel does to us. Why? Because Jesus became the other on our behalf. This is who Jesus is. He doesn't come down and treat us as the other. He comes down and willingly takes on the otherness. He becomes the scapegoat. He becomes the sacrifice. He becomes the thing that other people detest and reject. And in doing so, when he's resurrected from the dead, instead of like Terminator where he's coming back for you, what does he do? His first word is peace. Shalom. Now, I don't want you to do this, but if we were in a different church, I would ask you to punch the person beside you and see what they would say. I doubt they would say peace. And yet Jesus is murdered and resurrected, and now he has a body that cannot be killed again, and what does he do? Does he come back and he's like, all right, let's square up. No, 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 what does he do? He takes all of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of the evil, absorbs it in himself, and what does he do? He shoots up out of the grave and he imagines a new world. And what is the world? It's a world built on shalom. A unity between God and people and even those that are other than. That's a wild worldview. The resurrection is not simply about getting you to heaven. I've got good news for you. If you place faith in Christ, you're going to get there whether you like it or not. All right? You're in the tractor beam. You're getting sucked in. Like, you don't have a choice. If you place faith in Jesus, like, you can't lose it, work for it, or earn it. And I'm sorry if I offend somebody there. If you place faith in Jesus, he holds you to the end. But what a sad life if we're simply living for a future event that's already guaranteed, missing what's in front of us in the here and now. See, the resurrection is not simply a future event. It is a way of living in the here and now. Jesus shoots out of the grave and says, peace, rather than let's duke it out. And he imagines a new way of living. A way of living that doesn't count score. That doesn't keep right and wrongs. That doesn't exist for itself as its ultimate end. But a life that sees human flourishing, shalom, the unity of God and neighbor as a goal, and even as a responsibility. A few months ago, I was in a a meeting with one of the top developers in the city of Buffalo. Young guy, mid-30s, multi-millionaire, I can't even imagine how many times over. And have you ever met rich people that are jerks? Okay, a few of us have. Have you ever met people that are wealthy and blessed and you go, praise God, I'm so glad they have money? If you haven't met them, God has so many of those people in this world. And you're sitting with him and he starts talking about developing Buffalo and he's buying up thousands and thousands and thousands of square footage everywhere, all throughout the city. And we're asking him, we're sitting there with a group of pastors going, what informs your view? And he said this, you know, the bottom line is not everything. That's a pretty amazing business view. He said, I could have put a convenience store. I could have put another Dollar General in, in one of my buildings. I would have got a lot more money for it. But I knew the neighborhood didn't need that. So I took less money for that, and I put a gym in a building. Because I knew the neighborhood needed somewhere to exercise. Now, that's profound. And the reason I bring it up is because we must never think that it's just a matter of time where in which we become wealthy enough to be generous. 
Generosity has nothing to do with how much money you have. Please hear me. Generosity has nothing to do. If once I make 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand, once I make enough money, then I'll be... That's, not, that's, that's a total myth. It's not real. Generosity has nothing to do with how much income you have. Generosity has everything to do. Are you willing to let your view of God and the view of the world around you cost something? Not when you're wealthy enough to look over and go, well, I'll put a gym there. Why? Because I've got 70 million in the bank anyways. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not. It will always cost you to be generous. And this is the call of the Christian. The call of the church is to imagine a society in which we don't exist solely for ourselves. But we start to say there's needs around us. The other around us is no longer an other. They are a brother and a sister. Imagine a world that could look like that. Imagine a world without racism. Imagine a world without sexism. Imagine a world without ageism. Imagine a world where we actually look at a person that we're not related to, but we see them and our Heavenly Father bringing us into the same family. That's kind of a wild thought. I know it is. We have to reframe maybe the... The thinking there, because maybe our mindset, and I'm going to wrap up here just in a minute, maybe our, uh, our mindset says something like this, and we have to rethink things, and I'm hopefully, hopefully I'm challenging and you here. We have a view sometimes, if we're not careful, that God loves the people that love him, and then he hates his enemies. You know, that God's like, what does he do here in Luke 6? I read it already. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return, and reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he's kind to who? The people that come to church every Sunday? I mean, I hope he is kind to us as well, don't worry. He's kind to who? The ungrateful and the evil. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now that is so different than anything I ever thought until I read the Bible. Because my God is kind to me, and he likes who I like, and he doesn't like who I don't like. Okay, I'm the only one that has that problem, right? God is the one. I like him, God likes him. I don't like him, I'm thinking, oh, God couldn't. No, 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 who is God? He is kind to the ungrateful. Have you ever met a person that's ungrateful? They roll through your house, they eat all your food, and they never say thank you. Who's, what is God's disposition? What, is he, what, he, what does he do? Because we all pretend to be kind sometimes and we're like, that's a great one. But God's actual nature and character and disposition, his heartbeat is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now the Greek word here for evil is evil. Okay? There's no like hidden word like the evil that say they're sorry or the evil that are trying harder to be better. No, who is he kind to? He is kind to the evil. See, this is the Christian life. This is the call of the believers not to separate people, insiders and outsiders, but to bring to the knowledge of them that God has brought them on the inside, whether or not they even accept it, believe it, or whatever. God is saying, I love you, and only their willing acceptance of that. That's what makes the difference. I know that might sound odd to you. 
God has already welcomed them into his family. It is only them that either don't know it, don't believe it, reject it, whatever it is. Now, I've got to quote C.S. Lewis because some of you are getting nervous and C.S. Lewis makes everything better. <laughs> he just does. Anytime you quote C.S. Lewis, everyone's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. He gets a free pass with everything he ever said. You know, you can imagine what it was like trying to raise him as a child. You're like, oh, well, you are C.S. Lewis. I mean, you know, <laughs> here's some more candy, right? I'm saying these sorts of things. When, when you look at C.S. Lewis and you, you, you look at his view of God, and he's, he starts talking about how God treats heaven and hell, not so much as a transaction, but he uses this, he uses this strange phrase that hell is locked from the inside. Very strange. Now, hell is locked from the inside out, not the outside in. It's not that God is somehow rejoicing over people. No, he is a father that has already reconciled them and his heart breaks for people. And yet people, now you might look at it and go, who would ever want to be in hell? I know a lot of people that would. I know a lot of people that would rather be selfish than selfless. I know a lot of people that would rather be by themselves living their own life than having to live with the other. But what is heaven? Heaven is the other. Heaven is the place full of everyone that doesn't look like you, talk like you, think like you, and yet what has happened is they are unified through the work of Jesus Christ on the basis of grace. They are the people that speak a different language than you. They are the people with a different skin color than you. Heaven is the place full of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people brought together, unified by the blood of Jesus, not the blood of their ethnicity. That is good news. And see, there's a lot of people, though, that would rather be in hell as long as everybody looks like them. Wow. But what is the resurrection? It's that Jesus resurrected And not only a future event someday, but you and I as Christians have the ability to imagine right now what a resurrected neighborhood might look like. What a resurrected city, what a resurrected family, what a resurrected workplace might look like. In light of what will happen in the future, we can grab a piece of it now. That's crazy. That's really crazy. Sometimes it's so crazy you go, I wonder if that's true. And then you go, wow, why am I struggling with that? Because maybe it's too good to be true. Maybe that's the only thing that's true. Amen, i got to stop. Would you stand with me this morning? Proverbs says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it's overthrown. Proverbs 29.2 says this, when the righteous increase... The people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. When the righteous increase, why do people rejoice? Because the righteous live a life that is faced towards the other. So maybe the worship team could come as we close here just in this song. And I want to bless you this morning and I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you in your volunteering. I want to challenge you in your finances. I want to challenge you in your attendance to church. I want to challenge you in loving your neighbors and living for the good of the people around you. We sing songs and they mean so much. I was, we were singing the, uh, the Reckless Love song and I know Linda's downstairs. 
Um, we're singing that Reckless Love song. Isn't that a great song? That's awesome. I should have said that earlier in my message. Um, isn't that a great song, though? You know, it's kind of like the Good, Good Father song. How many people remember Good, Good Father? You know, it's who you are. It's, you know, you want to hug yourself by the end of it. You know, pass, you just pass out blankets at church. People would love it. It just feels good. But as we were singing that song today, I started thinking about the nature of God. That what is, what is the good shepherd as we sing about that? The nine, he leaves the 99 for the one. What is the whole point of that? That's the, that's the picture of the gospel, that Jesus is for the other He's for the marginalized. He's for the minority. He's for the person that's out on the edges. He looks at the 99. Now, if you're in business and you've got 99 things working out, I'd be like, forget that thing. Right? No one runs businesses, right? Yeah, that's what you do. You'd go, 99 things are working good. We've got one bad employee. We've got one stupid sheep. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, he's not that cool anyways. You know, you look at him, and if anything, you would push him out. And what happens is that the gospel shows us that not only are you once the, one of the 99, which is this, but this city is full. The city is full. And God's disposition towards them, his nature right now, is still for the people that who you and I once were, the people that could do it on our own, didn't need the grace of God. So this might sound strange, but as we close, I want you to sing this song. I don't think we can move the words because it's whatever. Uh, But as you sing the song, yes, receive God's love, but I wanted to challenge you to think about the people outside of you, to think about the city here, to think about your neighborhood, to think about maybe you're going to be able to help with the refugees uh, this morning or this afternoon, to think outside of just the fact that God loves me. Begin to think about and ask that God would stir in our hearts once again a love for the people that are other than who we are. Because right now, we're the 99 in the building, in case you're wondering. We've become the 99, and yet there's still ones all around us. I want to bless you this morning. Would you lift your hands if you're willing to receive a blessing? In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, I bless you. I bless you with a heart for the other. I bless you with a heart for the person that looks different than you, that talks different than you, that, that believes even different than you. I bless you with a heart for the pagan society and culture that surrounds you. I bless you with a heart to love those who don't love you. I bless you with a heart and a mind to be for the people that are against you, that you like God, his image, that you would image who God is to others, that you would be kind to the ungrateful, that you would be merciful to those that are evil, that you would release the love of God everywhere you go and that you who are now a part of the 99 would go after the one. I bless you in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.